Okay, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who was head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Thanks, Janine. Uh, year 6 to 8 are going to head out now um, for their Bible teaching time. Well, our, our current vision series is in part an opportunity to be reminded of, of who we are. Uh, as Grace Anglican Church, Harrington Park, who are we? What are we on about? Uh, how should we think about this thing we call church? What is it? What place does and, and should it occupy in our lives? Uh, Australian census data shows that uh, church attendance in Australia is declining and yet here we are, here we are, along with um, 1.8 million other Australians, I should add, who also attend church each week. But why are we here? What are we, what are we on about? How many of you know that um, I, I like to run? Uh, sometimes on a Saturday morning, um, I go along the park run in Camden. Here's a, uh, a picture of, um, are there any other park, Camden park runners here? Anyone who's been? A few, few hands sort of, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I'm not there all that often, but there's a picture of me and uh, my canine Turbo Boost Archie in the first kilometre. Uh, and he's so absolutely amped and hyped that I, the best thing is just to let him drag me along. Um, and then we kind of slow down, I'm a little bit exhausted later on. But um, it's good fun. Saturday morning, Park Run. What is Park Run, you might be wondering? Well, it's um, an organisation of local five-kilometre running events that happen in parks all over the world at 8am on, on Saturday each week on Saturday mornings. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's park runs in, yeah, literally all over the world. When I first attended my, fir uh, my first park run event, I was struck by the parallels of the experience with many people's experience of attending church. Parkrun kind of like church. Now, one difference is that Parkrun is generally um, more energetic than church. Um, 
Although if you're part of the awesome SAS team, um, it, it might be up there in terms of, of physical effort. Um, but that aside, Parkrun does have some similarities to church, at least on the surface of things. It's, it's a weekly gathering. It's in the same place at the same time each week. It's open to anyone. It's free. There's no entry fee. Uh, there's a set format of what happens, even including a, a set form of words, a liturgy, if you like, that is spoken by a leader to the gathered people. Uh, newcomers are welcomed and warmly acknowledged. Milestones are celebrated. Uh, volunteers are always being sought to cover the jobs to make the event happen. And after the event, people hang around for a chat and some head off for morning tea together. All of this happens under the banner of the organisation, the network, you might say, the, the denomination called Parkrun. So is church just a kind of less energetic, more religious version of Parkrun? What is this thing we call church? What place does and should it occupy in our lives? Well, as in all things, uh, we should look to God and his word for answers. And the, the book of Ephesians has so much to teach us, uh, especially on this topic of church. And in our little, uh, little vision series, we're just, we're just kind of dipping into this book over three weeks. Uh, there's a, and so there's a great danger that well, we, we don't do it justice. Uh, so I really would encourage you to, to dive deep into, uh, into this wonderful, rich book in your own time. Last week, as James said, we heard about God's grace God's grace to us in Ephesians 2, the incomparable riches of God's grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, taking us from being dead in our transgressions and sins, making us alive with Christ, saving us by his grace, creating us anew in Christ Jesus, giving us a new identity, giving us a new purpose to, to walk in the good works which he's prepared for us. That was last week, and then, and then on through chapter 2 and 3, Paul reminds his readers of, of the transformation, of being without God, without hope, to being brought near to God, to being uh, united as Jew and Gentile under one new humanity, at peace with each other, at peace with God, as fellow citizens in God's household, as, as one building a holy temple in which God dwells by his spirit, as, as members of one body with freedom and confidence to approach God through Christ Jesus. There's a really crash course, summer condensed sermon of the rest of chapter 2 and chapter 3. It's this wonderfully rich couple of chapters that, that lay out this incredible calling that is ours if we belong in Christ, if we put our trust in him. And, and then having expounded all this, Paul calls on his readers, he calls on us to, to, to action. To help us understand this, this call uh, and to take that to heart, to, to live that out, to apply that to our lives, I, I want to look at this passage before us under four headings. And you'll see on the outline there, the, the calling, the gift, the goal and the body. Firstly, the calling in verse 1, Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Literally, the, the word live is the word walk. Walk worthily. And we might talk about live and walk in similar ways. You talk about the, the, the path that someone walks is the, is the way they live their life. That's what's going on here. It's, the, it's walk, live in a manner worthy that fits with, that aligns with the calling that you've received. What is that calling? Well, it, 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 it's, it's everything that Paul has, has been outlining in the first three chapters of Ephesians, the, the calling to be God's saved people in Christ. But in particular, he, he goes on to highlight here what, what this calling is about, that it's about oneness, 
It's about unity. So jumping down to verse 4 and working backwards, he says, verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Notice there in verse 4, it's just as you were called to one hope when you were called. This, this calling is to, is to oneness, is to, to unity. The one God and Father has called us through one faith, one baptism, which I think he's talking about Jesus' death and resurrection. That's the, the one baptism to one hope in the one body with the one spirit. That is, we're not just independent autonomous units who are kind of masters of our own destiny. We're actually part of something bigger. Just reflect on that and notice how it just runs against the grain of of our individualistic culture. But, you know, our culture is not just a thing that's kind of out there. We are so shaped by it. This same individualism. And so we, we need this urging to walk worthily. We need to work against the, the fragmenting, isolating, individualistic thinking and behaviour that is just reinforced into us over and over again. We, we need, verse 3, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Which means, working backwards again, verse 2, to be completely humble and gentle Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Do you notice the assumption here? As Paul writes to a bunch of Christians in a local church, he he says, be humble, gentle, patient, bear with each other in love. He assumes there's, there's going to be a need for that, for patience. There are things about you that I need to bear with. There are things about me that you need to bear with. We need Humility, we need gentleness, we, and that will take effort, make, make every effort, it says, to keep the unity of the Spirit. Are you unhappy with someone at church? Have they hurt you? Have they let you down? Uh, disappointed you in some way? Maybe, they, maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, maybe you don't know, was it intentional or unintentional? If that's you, I want to say... Well, firstly, that's, that's really hard and that can be immensely painful. Making every effort to keep the unity, it might mean you need to have a conversation to, with that person to, to try to sort it out, to seek understanding, perhaps repentance if that's required, uh, forgiveness, reconciliation. Uh, whether or not you need to have a conversation, uh, there will almost certainly be a need for humility, for gentleness, for patience. For bearing with. You see how God's word simultaneously presents this gloriously elevated picture of the church. The, the church is the bride of Christ, is the, the body of Christ, the, the, the display of his glory at the end of chapter 3. There's this glorious elevated picture of the church and yet it's at the same time, it's this realistic picture that, that we are all sinful people, we're all works in progress and so we'll need to be urged and encouraged to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to bear with one another in love. We're, we're urged to walk this way because we're one. We're one in Christ Jesus. That's our calling. 
And that, this calling has come about because of, secondly, the gift. Verse 7 says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. As Christ has, has given each one of us the gift of grace. Now, now what, what, does, what does that mean? I mean? Does this mean that Christ has given each one of us a, a special gift? You know, maybe the gift of hospitality or the gift of music or the gift of chair arrangement or the, the gift of washing up. And you know, that, That's a particular wonderful gift that's sometimes badly needed, um, uh, badly needed spiritual gift. Is it that God says, well, there's Bertie. I'll pick on Bertie. I, I often pick on Bertie in sermons. He's been putting up with it for, um, for, for 20 years or so. He's bearing with me in love. Thank you, brother. There's Bertie. I'm, I'm going to give Bertie the gift of car detailing. I think God has indeed given Bertie the gift of car detailing. and God may well do that. And in fact, there are other parts of the scriptures that may sort of push us into this, the idea of God giving different gifts to different people. The 1 Corinthians 11 to 14, teach along those lines. I don't think that's what's going on here in Ephesians 4. So having just, having just put that idea in your mind and you get to thinking about, well, what particular gift has God given me? Put that out of your mind and look at what this actually says. Verses 8 to 10 then go on to quote from Psalm 68. Uh, this, and the image there is of, of this triumphant king returning victorious in, from battle and he ascending on high with many captives in his train and, and he is giving out gifts to his people, uh, the, the gifts of the conquest that he has received as the victorious king. And Christ, our king, is the ultimate victorious king who has ascended on ascended higher than, as it says in verse 10, all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So what are the gifts of grace that Christ has given? I don't think it's talking about hospitality or music or chair arrangements or car detailing. Verse 11 tells us, so Christ gave himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Christ Jesus, the victorious king, gave to his people, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers. And that is the most foundational, transformative gift. As it says back in chapter 2, verse 20, God's people are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In 3, verse 5, it says that the gospel of Christ has been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So the church of God, which we've been called to belong to, has been, has been gifted by Christ with these servants of his word. Notice there that they're all to do with the word of God. The apostles, they're sent ones who are sent to, to, to bring the words of the one who sent them. The prophets likewise deliver God's word and call people back to it. The evangelists speak the evangel, the gospel, the word of God. And pastors and teachers, they're talking about the one person who, who shepherds God's people with the word of God. So to each one of us, Christ has given his grace-filled word through these servants of his word. And he's done this with a, with a particular purpose, a goal in mind. And so we come to point three, the goal. He gives these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That is this, this grace-filled word of God that, that builds us into his church, equips us all 
to engage in his service, his ministry. And, and the goal of that service is the building of the body of Christ. But, but notice it's a building in a particular direction, a particular way. It's, the goal is unified maturity in the knowledge of Jesus. See verse 13, and it says, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So God's word equips us to, to serve one another in a way that, that grows us to be the mature body of Christ. How does it actually work? Well, we'll see that in a minute, but notice first the contrast to this maturity. It, it, it's, it's the opposite of being a, a tossed around infant. So verse 14 says, Then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. My kids are long grown up and past this stage, but I remember when they were, when they were little and we'd, we'd go to the beach and we'd have some fun on the, on the sand and then we'd go into the water and, and when, they, when they were little, I mean, the water might be up to my sort of above my knee, but for them, that's kind of getting up towards the, their head and, and, and they're, in, they're being tossed by themselves, they're being tossed around by the, by the waves. They needed to grow to, to maturity, to strength, to steadfastness. Likewise, the church. We need to grow through this word-equipped service of one another, grow in our faith, in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus, such that we are, are not tossed back and forwards by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, but instead grow to be the mature body of Christ, Christ who is our head. That's the goal, unified maturity in the knowledge of Jesus. Well, how does that growth to maturity happen? It's through verse 16, the body. Through the body growing and building itself. Verse 16, from him, Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Each part does its work. But what exactly are these works that each part does? such that the body grows to maturity and unity and faith and knowledge. Uh, I mean, is it that that this part does the morning tea and and this part serves on creche and this part sets up chairs and and look at that. Each part does its work and the body is grown and built. Is that what it's talking about? I don't think so. I mean, don't get me wrong, we, we, we need teamwork. We need to work together. We need people to do morning tea and creche and set up chairs and all that. But I think Paul has something far bigger in mind going on here. And and the danger of kind of jumping to that conclusion and saying, oh, we each need to do a job, is we actually miss out what is being said and and we have a reduced and shallow picture of of the glorious body of Christ. So what are these works that each part does such that the, the body grows and builds to maturity? Well, the passage tells us. See there in verse 15. It says, instead, instead of being tossed around, Speaking the truth in love will grow to maturity. Speaking the truth in love. Who's doing the speaking the truth in love? Is that a, is that a you know, minister thing up front speaking? Well, no, it says we. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow. We're, we're, the whole body that's growing and building itself, that's, 
we speak the truth in love to one another. What does that mean? Well, I think the truth that is being spoken of, he's not just talking about speaking truthfully. It's important to speak truthfully. Um, see that in the next chapter, it talks about that. But truth in Ephesians is a way of speaking of the truth of the gospel of Jesus. So 1, 1 verse 13 talks about the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In two verse 20, uh, sorry, 4 verse 21, it talks about the message of Christ as the truth that is in Jesus. So the thing that we, that we do as we grow and build the body of Christ to maturity is we speak the truths of God to one another. That can find an expression in our lives in a hundred different ways. It might be an encouraging chat over morning tea that, that includes the question to say, what can I pray for you? It might be an encouraging text message during the week or sharing a verse of scripture. It could be praying with or praying for someone. It could be reading and discussing and applying God's word at, at growth group, singing the truths of God's word to one another at church. I mean, that's what we're told to do in chapter 5, verse 19. We're commanded to sing. Our words to one another can be profoundly powerful, which I take it is why I'm um, over in chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. So we're to speak the truth to, to build one another up. I notice that the motive in that, the motive that must drive all our speaking to one another, is love. Speaking the truth in love. We love, just as God in Christ loved us. And that, that love will shape our speech, our shape our actions, our bearing with one another in love in, in all sorts of ways. And if you read on throughout the rest of chapter 4, it unpacks all the different ways that we, we, we do this. So I encourage you to, to read and reflect on that later. So what does all this mean for us as a church? What does it mean for this thing that we, we find ourselves a part of on a Sunday morning? Well, firstly, it means we should remember our calling. We're called not to, not to fragmented, isolated, autonomous living as, as individuals. And so much of our culture pushes us in that direction. We're, we're, no, we're called to be part of a body with one God and one Father. And so I guess to, to apply that, to apply God's word to our lives, to put that into practice, walk worthy of that calling as you engage well with the, the body of Christ which will mean being humble, gentle, patient, bearing with others in love. It'll mean speaking the truth in love. So, Brothers and sisters, let's, let's give ourselves to being that, to being like that with one another, to, to being this body. Let's keep giving ourselves to being this body. And doing that, living that out, will mean pushing back against our individualism. It will mean us seeing church this thing on Sunday morning, not just as an event that I attend for, for an hour and a half on a Sunday, kind of like I attend Park Run on a Saturday. No, it means seeing church as, as the body that I'm connected to. So, so that I play a vital part in, in helping as, as together we seek to grow and build one another up to maturity in Christ. And that mindset, that view of church will overflow in, in our thinking, our behaviour. For example, it, it will mean we'll, we'll want to be part of a, a growth group as, as far as that's possible because we, we want to be with and help to grow and be grown by other parts of the body. And we'll see our fellow group members, not as group members, but as body members 
And we'll pray for each other throughout the week and we'll, we'll engage with each other in the joys, the struggles of life. And we'll, we'll seek to bring God's truths uh, to bear uh, on our lives in a way that builds us and grows us to maturity. We'll look out for others at church who aren't part of a growth group, who, for the new person, the visitor, and to, to love them, include them, and speak the, the truth of God's word to them in love. And we'll look out for the person who's struggling, who's doing it tough, who needs encouragement to keep going. See, this, this commitment to, to body of Christ-focused living will overflow in so many ways. We're in the midst of this, um, this vision series and put out this big letter with these you know, five key plans for next year and this invitation to, to reaffirm our commitment to pray, to serve, to give. I hope next week will be a great day of Vision Sunday as we come together with our brothers and sisters at Gledswood Hills and Night Church and as we express our, our unity and, and our continuing commitment and partnership together. And That's good and helpful. I, I hope it's good. I hope it's helpful. But of course, the, the calling that we've received is so much bigger than that. So much bigger, grander, more wonderful than a vision series or a vision Sunday. We're called into relationship with God as our Father. We're called into relationship with Christ Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. We're called into relationship with one another as dear brothers and sisters in Christ, as members of one body. We have the joy, the privilege of being equipped by Christ, our King, through his word of grace such that we can build and grow to maturity in Christ as we speak the truths of God to each other in love. That's what must be at the heart of our church. This week, next week, Vision Sunday, on into the plans of next year, in amongst a building project in years to come, with everything we do in the future until the Lord Jesus. Let's continue to commit ourselves to that, to remain committed to the grace that builds. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the wonderful gift of grace that Christ has given, for your word of grace that calls us into relationship with you, into relationship with one another, that grace that has picked us up from being dead in our sin and made alive with Christ. Father, we pray that you would equip us for service of Jesus and of his body. Please strengthen us, grow us to maturity as the body of Christ, as we serve each other, speaking the truth in love. Please equip us for this task, we pray. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.